It says you're still in the game. Well, until you find it, I will sing a song about Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Lewis and Clark uh, got lost in the dark, went out on a lark. They thought it was a park. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, it's Roll, Roll, Boom! Boom. As we blow up the game pieces that just won't fit in Dizzle. Next up, we balance trading and travel as we blaze a trail through parts unknown in Lewis and Clark. And lastly, we name that tune coming out of our teammates' closed mouth in Humble. I'm your host, (laughs) Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid game explorers. Hello, I'm Evan Bernstein, and my temperature is currently 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm Ed Povolite, and everybody knows gaming is the best medicine. I'm Mike Grenier, and I'm feeling hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I'm not I don't have a fever though so it's okay. Oh, that's good. Hey guys, did you know that Which Game First now has a live streaming game night? Woo-hoo! Now exclusively during lockdown we'll be streaming our game sessions live. Thursday nights, 6:30 p.m. Eastern US time. We're going to turn the feed on and you're going to watch and laugh as we fumble our way through games we've never played before. <laughs> To watch, just tune into our Twitch channel, Twitch TV at Wish Game First. So check us out Thursday night. See you there. See ya. I will see you. Hey everyone, we wanted to tell you a bit about our sponsor this week, Smirk and Dagger and Smirk and Laughter Games. Yeah. Smirk and Dagger are making life better through backstabbing. And Smirk and Laughter is the perfect medicine for being stuck inside. One of our favorite smirk and laughter games is Shobu, which we've reviewed on the show. It's a beautifully crafted abstract strategy game for two players. We know you're going to love it. I love how everything is wood and stone in the box. Wood, stone, and a rope. So simple, but so enjoyable to play. Absolutely. And if you want to be mesmerized by beautiful color, take a look at Koi. A beautifully themed light strategy game for one to four players. As a koi fish, you spend your day swimming to and fro by playing a number of movement cards. So relaxing. Ah, koi fish. But if you're still hungry for the vicious stab in the back and crave high-risk treasure grabs, Cutthroat Caverns has everything you need. Now that everybody's stuck inside, if you can't get your hands on the physical game, Cutthroat Caverns is available right now on an app on your phone. Go get it. Mm, It is a fun game. Yeah, games are more fun when you can stab your friend right in the back. Right from your phone. (laughs) Yeah, long distance. It's like... Uh, it's like Darth Vader doing the uh, the choke from across the galaxy. <laughs> you can check out all the Smirk and Dagger and Smirk and Laughter games at smirkanddagger.com. Then go buy them online. And thank you to our sponsor, Smirk and Dagger and Smirk and Laughter games. Our first game up this week is Dizzle. Designed by Rolf Zerlind, published by Schmidt, Spiel, and Stronghold Games in 2019. Number of players, 1 to 4. Ages 8 and up. Playtime, 20 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. 
Um, so the first thing you notice here is the box. It looks super exciting. There's like gems and bombs and the word Dizzle blasted across the front. Uh, when you crack <laughs> it open, you see a tracking pad with four different levels. Uh, four tiny little felt tip pens that are like the golf size pencils. We love those. Yeah, I love them. And uh, 13 black six-sided dice. And that's pretty much it. That is what is in the box. Before we find out if this game can make a mountain out of this seeming molehill of components, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Dizzle, players place dice on their game sheet in locations with matching pips. Each round, players take turns selecting randomly rolled dice from the center of the table, and the next die they take must be placed adjacent to the other dice on their sheet. At the end of a round, mark all boxes on your sheet that have a die. This might sound simple, but of course others will compete for the dice you need as you race to complete rows and take special actions. After a set number of rounds, the game ends, and the player with the most points obviously wins. (laughs) Obviously. Points! (laughs) This box looks really exciting. Tell me, was it exciting? Yes. It's a a really cool box, and it's small. It's about the size of a small paperback book. This game box is a Stronghold Games game box. And they have a a lot of games in this size box, don't they? They do. And we played a few of them. Ed, what have we played? Well, the other one we played was Bricks. I like how small they are. They can fit right on your shelf, stacked up nice. And I like having a giant pad of colored paper. I like the dice because you have to roll up to 13 dice in this game. And they're small, so... Picture large D6 or maybe average-sized ones. Yeah. You would, you'd have trouble rolling 13 of those at once. You'd most likely drop a few on the floor before you get them on the table. But these are sized correctly. They will fit in your hand nicely and roll easily. They also fit right into the boxes on the sheets. Mm-hmm. So you yes, can place do. them where you want because you're going to have to use each die once and you can place them to try out different locations before you take your permanent magic marker <laughs> and mark them off and then there's no going back right. there's nothing magic about a permanent magic marker i'll just <laughs> say that you're rolling the dice in the center and you're taking the die and then you're hoping the other die you really need gets back around to you is it a draft or you just have a big pool of dice to grab from it, yeah there's a pool of dice in the center and you take dice one at a time each person and uh you're kind of like oh no don't take that die i need it <laughs> oh, right. I hate that. Oh, you got to wait your turn. Oh. <laughs> Especially if only, say, one number two rolls and like, oh, boy, somebody's going to grab that before I need it. And sure enough, it's gone. So my, not, now it's my turn to start. Look at that awful roll. That was awful. That roll does stink. Holy cow. Look at all those oh, ones. ones and twos. I mean. Oh, that is absolutely not Mike what I this need. garbage? What, 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 what's going on, Mike? <laughs> I went after Ed. Not that I wasn't yelling. Ed, you've completely screwed my entire game up every single turn. And, and then, of course, I would respond with, well, then just roll the dice and press your luck, baby. What? You can press your luck. Yes. Wait, tell me about that. Fun. Well, if you don't like your options in the center, what you can do is you take all the dice and roll them, hoping for something better. But if you don't get something that you can place, you have to give up one of the dice that are already placed on your map. Oh, backwards moving. Oh, no. 
Yeah. So it's a real risk. I love the easy scoring right on the side. Once again, I guess as I had no idea of this myself until the brilliant interviewer Chris Whitband came on and noticed as a fellow panelist that I love score sheets. <laughs> and now I know that about myself. I love the score sheet on this game. It's right on the game pad, right next to the board itself. So you're checking off all your dice to the left and on the right is your score sheet. So you can see all the delicious points you'll be getting. <laughs> and each type of sheet there's four different levels level one two three and four that the gamepad offers they each have a different method of scoring do you all agree on which one you're going to use each game or is it like the same for everybody well it's the same for everyone but you can choose which level you're going to play levels one through four but the first level has fewer special symbols on it for mm -hmm. example trying to race to get a bomb so ooh, <gasps> bomb 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 what's the bomb do oh boy well, the bomb eliminates other people from being able to use that space and gives other players negative points. Uh, <laughs> terrible. That's horrible. Terrible. I suffered at the hands of many bombs <laughs> in this game. You did. Usually people try to drag the leader down. It's inadvertent, really. I mean, you move where you got to move and you try and cover those bombs before other people do. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't have enough time to watch what other people were doing. Mm -hmm. I was going more for columns and rows. If you complete certain columns and rows, you get bonus points. Yes. <laughs> bonus. So that was my strategy. Well, we played both level one and level two. And when we got to level two, there's definitely a little bit more racing going on because there are keys and there are puzzle points you can go to. And when the bombs are triggered, that cuts off the shorter route to other people. They're cartoon drawings of keys and puzzle pieces. The dice are superimposed over it. So you get to see exactly where each piece is mm -hmm. while still seeing the dice numbers right in the same square. It's very cool. It is. And the puzzle pieces are color coded. And if you get all the same color puzzle pieces, you get the bonus points. And it's all indicated on the side of the sheet. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you can cut other people off with what you did on your board. How does that work? When they place a die in a spot, you can't use that spot anymore? Uh, only the bomb makes that spot unavailable to other players. Oh, okay. So, yes, it could be a shorter route that's getting cut off due to a bomb exploding. But there's usually another way to get there, but you'll need more dice. Mm -hmm. And there's only so many rounds in the game. Some dice rolling games, it matters whether you roll a lot of high numbers. This one here, it looks like you just want a variety of different numbers to choose from. Correct. And uh, based on how well you score at the end of the game, you can get ranked. For example, middle of the pack with a 71 through 80, Dizzler, <laughs> this cannot be the first game you played, or is that just luck? Oh, I see. We, we were graded on how we did. <laughs> well, my score was uh, the only good news is there are two digital ranks that are worse. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you a little color text on how well you did on the game. It's a nice touch. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury a dizzle. Evan? This dice game is fun. I think the components are good. I think there's enough strategy here for replayability. It's easy to learn and easy to play. Dig it up. Ed? It's not a very deep game, but there is enough here to puzzle out and a bit of player interaction. So I'll dig this one up as a fun and fast game. Sometimes pen, paper, and some creative rules is all that you need to make a good game. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find it? You can find it just about anywhere. Online stores, brick and mortar stores when they reopen. And you can find it for just under 20 bucks. 
If you have thoughts about Dizzle, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up is Lewis and Clark, designed by Cedric Chabossi, published by Ludonaut Games in 2013, number of players 1 to 5, ages 14 and up, playtime 30 minutes per player, per player, folks, (laughs) per player. Important to remember. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? All right, well, we start off. With the box, it just says Lewis and Clark and a kind of a script on the front with uh, it looks like an expedition team in some old school scary canoes. (laughs) (laughs) They they do. They look inches from the water, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like the top of that canoe is like. They're in the danger zone. This was a risky time, folks. The game board kind of looks like a map, but it's a little more colorful than you'd expect from an old school map. There are five player expedition boards, which are your individual boards. Uh, five scout figures of different colors, one for each player, five camp tokens, 12 boat tiles, eight resource badge tokens, 100 resource token in the shape of hexes, uh, 10 <laughs> yeah. resource multiplication markers in case you have too much stuff, uh, 18 red Indian meeples. Uh, there's 84 character cards. 30 of them are just your five sets of six starting characters and 54 brand new ones that you encounter along the way. And five handy dandy player aid cards. And that's what's in the box. Before we tell you if this game is as resourceful at creating fun, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Lewis and Clark, each player manages an expedition across Northern America, starting with one Native American guide, along with a set of characters that were met during the historical journey. Each turn, players must take one action, using a character card or a board space. Then, they may camp and or recruit characters. The character cards are dual use and often require the use of other cards to activate, requiring the leader to cleverly manage his characters and resources. Acquiring new characters gives more options but also recycles slowly. This hand-building fits with the historical background. Beware, sometimes frugality is better than abundance weighing down the expedition. The first expedition to reach the Pacific Coast wins. We're recording this during the COVID-19 crisis. And we are all (laughs) sequestered, so we've been playing digitally online Mm -hmm. for a while. So when I said what's in the box, I should have said a computer screen, a mouse, and a keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically. So it it took me a minute to figure out what was accessible on the board, since online you can't drag pieces around. Usually you just have to click one and then click where it goes. Um, So it it took me a minute to get acclimated to where we were on the board and what we were supposed to be doing. No, took you a minute? Let's see, 30 minutes times each player. (laughs) It took me two hours to figure out uh, where things were on the board. I'm still online trying to figure it out right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Celeste, have you moved off the space where all your goods get dumped off the canoe every turn? <laughs> yeah, the one at the back of the thing, even behind St. Louis. Yeah. Behind the uh, starting position. Oh. You start five spaces from the, the first spot. And if you end up on the first spot somehow, you lose everything. And that happened to Celeste for two turns. It was rough. Yeah, I've never experienced that amount of backward momentum. Mm, that was brutal. 
And thanks to the digital interface, it showed it all happening right in front of me. <laughs> all your pieces are flying fact, off the board. Oh. It, it made a little splash sound with every resource that went into the drink. I try to set up everything because I try to read the rules and watch the video beforehand, but I was still not able to try to communicate all the pitfalls as we're playing the game. This is a mid to almost, I won't say high level complex game, but I'd say it's above average in its complexity. Actually, I found myself understanding what was going on earlier than I expected to by looking at the board. I, I un- kind of understand the what the backwards momentum is for. It's supposed to show how much you slowed your journey down by carrying too many goods, etc. You'll be faster carrying just what you need and not having too many people. A bigger expedition with more people and more goods takes more time. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to communicate, and it kind of works yeah. until it, yeah. it hits you too hard. <laughs> you got to find the sweet spot, the right balance between the two. Goods versus movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, what Celeste did was collected a whole bunch of wood and basically sank her boat. <laughs> basically, yeah. You know, I guess if you wanted to show and give it an interactive feeling of how difficult the expedition of Lewis and Clark was to actually move forward... I guess it was successful. (laughs) (laughs) You're feeling it for sure. It's a little counterintuitive to some other resource management games where you think action economy means getting as many as you can in one action. But in this case, um, frugality is a key component. Yeah, just get mostly only what you're going to spend that turn. Maybe a tiny surplus for the next turn. But other than that, the more stuff you stack up in your boat, the more days that you've wasted. So that's what the backwards movement represents. The other key thing is, is you only have so many characters in your hand and you're only going to be able to play roughly half of them. So planning out who you're going to use and who you're not going to use before you camp again is important. The way that works is that you basically have a character that has an ability in your hand. And when you play that character, you also have to play another character face down to activate it. And that character's strength tells you how many times you can take the action that's on the first one that you played. So there's a a bit of a hand management there. The better cards have higher strength, but then you can also use them to activate other cards more times. And then there's another aspect of the game where you can use the Native American meeples to activate the board spaces. So there's a whole other way to use the game where you're trying to get more Indians to help you out and use the worker placement part of the game. And you have to use your translator card that's one of your standard cards that you start the game with to get more of them. So if if you're going with that strategy, you're going to build up a lot of them using your translator and then spend them all over the preordained spaces on the board to get resources and to trade out resources for better stuff and to move forward and get more boats, etc. Perhaps that's where I met most of my confusion in game is I was trying to do both, use my hand and then also use the worker placement part of the game. But I found that the two didn't necessarily complement each other or offer an effective strategy for advancing. To, to focus more on one rather than the other was, would probably be a better way of going about it. I, I think I would have enjoyed this game a little bit more had I been able to play it physically Unlike Roll for the Galaxy, where I found the digital interface very helpful in organizing things and enhancing the quick play of the game, 
This time I felt like it was a hamper because the tokens were a little bit hard to see online and also the artwork definitely lost something in the digital translation. The size of the board was smaller, of course. So I think the engagement would have been a little bit better and and immersive if I could see and feel these items. When you have cards that are dual-sided with multiple purposes on both the front and the backs of the cards, that does not translate great Mm -hmm. to the online world. Rather, sitting at the table and having the cards, being able to continuously kind of flip them and reevaluate them does seem to be more of an advantage. And certainly that's more how my brain works, because that's kind of what threw me was remembering all the functionality that are on the back of these cards in my hand, which I would often uh, be un- either unaware of or would be not reminded of, forgetful of. I agree. The components, I think, were meant to be handled in order to fully grasp what's going on. I think if you know the game, and you're playing online, it would go smoother. But learning the game, I think it was important to actually physically move the pieces, look at the card, be able to see the icons in the back, and Mm -hmm. make the aha moment. The game kind of flips its mode when you get up to the mountain part of the game. Like, you're going through this lake, you know, most of your movement just moves you up the lake. But when you get to the mountains, you need different types of movement to get through. And it's kind of seems like it's supposed to be a catch-up mechanism. But if you stop really close to them, it's really makes things difficult to transition from one kind of movement to the other to get to the end of the board. I really enjoy the bits of history that really incorporated in the art and in the cards and the historical note they add in the rule book that really bring the theme together for me. Which in person would be much better because we weren't really perusing the rule book as we played online. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Lewis and Clark. Ed? There is an interesting mix of mechanics and card combo to explore. So I'll dig this up for some more Path Through the Wilderness. Mike? This game took a simple race game and added lots of strategic options to explore. Dig it up. Evan? Despite my issues with the online version, what I saw at the tabletop was more intriguing. So I'm going to play it at the actual table because that's what Lewis and Clark would have wanted me to do. (laughs) Dig it up. Keeping in mind that I am reviewing a digital copy of this game, uh, I am going to say that to me, I was bored and that boredom was doled out in incremental setbacks. (laughs) So I'm going to bury it. (laughs) Splash. Evan, where can you find this game? You can find Lewis and Clark online. It retails for about $50, but we were able to play it on Board Game Arena. Check out Board Game Arena too. If you have thoughts about Lewis and Clark, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Our last game up this week is Humble. Published by United Enterprises in 1991. Number of players four or more. Mike, tell us what's in the box. Well, we start off here with a very plain hunter green box with a big old G-clef and the word humble on it. I guess we'll be humming. Things stay pretty milquetoast from there. You have four basic player pawns in the colors you'd expect, a solo six-sided die, a box of artless trivia cards, a sand timer, and a quadfold board with a one-lane track shaped like a music note. And that's... What's in the box? 
Before we get this review really humming, Evan, uh, tell us how it's played. In Humble, players attempt to have their teammates identify a song by humming the tune. On their turn, the player or team rolls a die to advance that many spaces on the board. The colored space they land on determines the song's category that the reader must hum, whistle, or, in desperation, use charades to have their teammate <laughs> guess the name of the song. The location may also be a hum for all, where the reader may pick any song on the card, but the opposing players may guess first and take the next turn. The steal. First team to reach the end of the board and win the hum for all wins the game. Ah, yep. (laughs) They win. Okay. Printed in that era before most game designers realized that implementing a race element into a trivia game is not smart. (laughs) Well, it's a classic. You see it in all sorts of the older trivia games, but it's just not necessary. Mm -hmm. But boy, this board, this box, looks older than 91 to me. It's so bad. It's just one color with the word across the front. I mean, <laughs> it's that exact Trivial Pursuit square box that so many copycat trivia games tried to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it is much better paced than a Trivial Pursuit situation. AKA shorter. And it is meant for parties. This game is a good party game. I don't think we could do it full justice, guys, playing it with just the four of us. No, true, true. Nah. It was minimalistic, yeah. Yeah, playing with just the four of us was not as good. But that won't stop us, because we're doing this for you. (laughs) (laughs) When you have only four players and two teams, there's one guesser and one clue giver. So if either one of those people don't know this song, it's game over, man. And again, we're playing remotely. Yeah. Yeah. So we had an additional challenge of this game does allow for charades, but we couldn't use any. Mm -hmm. Because we weren't playing on screen. Uh, Explorers, you have never heard people whine more than these guys did (laughs) about playing this game online. Oh, yeah. I was having a grand old time. Me and Celeste were fortunate to have played this game at a party with some of our SGU friends. Guys, believe it or not, we had a good time with this game. And everybody commented. Jay's like, man, I thought it was going to be garbage when you pulled it out. (laughs) And it was super exciting. Even the race element played well because my team was so despondent. It was like five against five. And we were so far behind. You know, we near rolled the... like a bunch of sixes in a row. Ed was on the other team, which I enjoyed trash talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was trash talking me all night. And then I got the final question right. Boom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the other people at the party were uncomfortable at how much I was trash talking Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, do you actually like this guy? <laughs> You've been friends for how long? Uh, But yeah, our comeback was fantastic. Epic. It was super exciting. But then Ed did kibosh it at the end. Yeah. I was like, oh, you're close now. I guess I will did the knockout punch. (laughs) I think my favorite thing is it says one category is contemporary, Mm -hmm. which because this game is so old is 1976 (laughs) to quote unquote today, which was 1991. Yeah. Some games are just not timeless. (laughs) This is one of them. Yeah. This the mechanics of this game allow for a massive comeback though. Like you get a song right, you can do another one and you can also keep rolling sixes and just get further ahead with lucky rolls, which is right. you know merciful cuz it lets the game end sooner. 
but uh, it's also insane. And the other reason why there's the comeback element at the very last space, it's a hunt for all. So when the players are at that space trying to win, the opponent can steal it to keep playing. Prolong the game, right? Mike? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also gives a slight advantage to the team that's not ahead because there's one more person on that team that gets a chance to guess. We had a couple of questions on that Humphrey that we lost in allowing Celeste's team to catch up. Yes, that was great. So it is sweet to just sort of watch uh, another team completely fail, as is great with many trivia games. Watch a timer uh, run out while they're struggling to try and come up with the song, especially when you know it, which is, of course, a familiar thrill that a name that tune type games have. Scheidenfraude. And the charades bit actually worked. There were two times that came up in that party where someone used charades to get the question and they got it right. They didn't know what the song was, so they opted for charades to just go word by word and it worked out fine. We keep saying question because we're so like beaten down by trivia games, but these are just the name of a song and go ahead and hum it. It's not really a question, I guess. There's so many songs where like, especially the Broadway category for me, it was like, what song is this? (laughs) I have no idea. There's a mechanism for passing if, if you're totally stuck. Yes, there's two cards that you get per team. Be very careful with the, your use of that because nine times out of 10, a worse song is going to come up anyway. Evan, how many of these songs do you think you knew percentage-wise of the ones that you your team pulled? 70%. Mm. All right, that's not terrible. Tops. Not terrible. But I know we used our passes early in the game. First two rounds. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is that thing? Nope, pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I felt like I had a disadvantage here because while I might recognize some of the tunes, I'm very bad with names of songs. Oh, same here. Same here. Don't sell yourself short. Ed, you're pretty bad at humming them too. (laughs) (laughs) Is it over yet? (laughs) (laughs) hey i got that puff the magic dragon to win (laughs) you did i can't believe you got something that basic and so easy to hum and yet i missed the peanuts theme song somehow evan did it perfectly and i just was drawing a blank i was humming along with him and still couldn't name the song (laughs) talk about pulling the football out from charlie brown i mean it was right (laughs) (laughs) okay explorers it's time to dig up or bury humble ed it is fun to get a room full of friends humming and guessing that tune. But the classic dice race, along with the dated song, <laughs> had me wondering if there's something else I would rather play. So I'll bury it just for that reason. But if you have it, go ahead and try it. Mike? I was bored and annoyed. <laughs> uh, maybe in a bigger group after the apocalypse is over, it might be some fun. But for now, I just have to say bury it. It's not for me. Evan? I had low expectations for this one, and they were exceeded. Therefore, (laughs) I'm forced to dig it up. Uh, You know, it was another $2 buy for me, and I got way more than $2 worth of fun out of this. See that? Yeah, for $2, I get you. (laughs) Bang for the buck. Yeah, it definitely was bang for the buck. You know, you can find this in aftermarkets for about 20 bucks. Don't quite know if it's worth that, but I am digging it up. And if you have thoughts about Humble, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing from you, especially in this lockdown time. Give us a shout out. We are desperate to hear you. (laughs) If you'd like more from us, including our exclusive patron-only podcast, Bonus Points! Bonus Points! Go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating, a review, a heart, a like, a shout out, anywhere. Obviously not down at the local gaming store this week, (laughs) but anywhere online, it really helps others find the show. And happy, happy, happy gaming explorers. (laughs) Let's get ready to humble!